Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host and king of the boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining us this evening, we have a fantasy author and RPG YouTuber. You guys have no doubt seen his videos with his colorful cast of characters, including Dweebles and Mike and Jack the NPC. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Seth Skorkowski. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on, and uh, thanks for uh, giving us your time this evening. No problem at all. Cool. So, Seth, we are going to start this off the same way we start every interview. I've got these questions that everyone gets asked when they step through the doors here on Rolling Bones. So, Let's begin at the beginning. How did you get into RPGs? Um, I was always interested in it. Uh, I, I think I grew up in East Texas during the satanic panic of the 80s. So I remember, I believed that Dungeons and Dragons had been made illegal. Uh, like they, they, they outlawed it altogether. So when I was in some homeroom of uh, in middle school, they had that little magazine that they give out to kids in homeroom. Mm-hmm. And it had this this full page, like, you know, it's back. It had the Dungeons and Dragons basic box set that was being released. And I remember telling my friend, like, oh, my God, it's it's no longer illegal. So I really wanted to know what it was all about. Uh, so for my 13th birthday, I got the, the D&D box set. And uh, that ended up leading me to meeting my, my first uh, dungeon master going forward from there. So I can uh, pretty easily ID the, the exact date that I got into role-playing games. Gotcha. That's pretty sweet. I I had no idea that the satanic panic carried so far that it was actually made illegal in certain no, places. It wasn't, but oh, I was okay, twelve. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. Uh, it's you know because it was it was all over the news. It was all over everything. So and then it was like nobody talked about it again. So it was like oh they outlawed it because you know when you're twelve you believe that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, like on one hand, it's unbelievable that it possibly could be. But on the other hand, I also grew up in in the American South. uh, And, you know, you hear about like, uh, you know, this radio station in Alabama banned the song. I want to break free by Queen because in the music video they're wearing they're they're in drag. So it's it's a toss up whether or not that could have happened somewhere. But I'm I'm glad that (laughs) East Texas did not at some point actually ban (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons. If uh, if you ever get a chance to just for um, I guess kind of history's sake, find a copy of uh, uh, 
Patricia Pulling's book. She was one of the heads of uh, uh, Bad, Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. And she wrote a book called The Devil's Web. And I finally picked up a copy a couple of years ago. And uh, I think the publisher was based out of my hometown. Gotcha. Uh, so it was... Uh, I, I was in in a way part of Ground Zero for uh, the Satanic Panic, so it was all over where I was. So it was, you know, it was the devil. Gotcha. So you are kind of associated with a lot of different games as far as your channels go. Um, you know, I, I believe a lot of people are most familiar with your Call of Cthulhu and your cyberpunk content. But if you had to pick a favorite game or favorite game system, what would you say that is? Uh, uh, Call of Cthulhu 7th edition. Gotcha. Cool. It's a gloriously clean uh, mechanic. I like it a lot. It's it's honestly cool that, you know, we're, we're having you on specifically at this time because we're only a couple weeks removed from... I did a huge overview of the history of Chaosium with Stu Horvath from uh, Vintage RPG and Unwinnable.com. So we've we've recently talked about Call of Cthulhu and and all the various uh, Chaosium properties. So it's it's cool to have someone else on here who's huge into uh, Chaosium games as well. Oh. Well, I'm I, I've never played uh, most of their their other games. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is very very clearly their flagship. Yep. Uh, but like I've never tried Pendragon, which a lot of people have been uh, telling me to try. And I know they didn't write it, but now that John Wick is with them, I've always wanted to try Seventh uh, Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, even back in the old first edition when they had it, I just I was so deep into D and D at the time that by the time I pulled my head out of the sand to look around to see if what other games are out there, Seventh Sea was gone. So I'm I want to pick that up and just check it out, see what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Good pirate RPGs are hard to come by. Although there is a certain Savage World setting that I dare not mention that people love. But if I mention it, the the savages are going to show up. (laughs) I'm just kidding, guys. I love you. I love you all. So... Going back to those early days, uh, you know, that first game you were you were playing when you were 13 years old. Um, do you remember that first character? Um, yes, uh, his name was Pike. He was an elf. Now, because that was basic D&D, that would be they were all uh, fighter wizards. And, and my first game of Dungeons and Dragons, it came with this box set. And it's like up in my attic, I believe. Uh had a, a scenario that you you dungeon mastered yourself through it was like a little choose your own adventure sort of thing with a fold-out map um and then when i uh, found a dungeon master uh we we re-rolled the stats but i just basically kept the same character uh so i pulled him into uh, uh which was uh, first edition ad and d when i actually started playing with a group so i only really ever played one game of that 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 box set because it only had one Hmm. Uh, and then i joined a group and i learned uh really what all uh you could do with the game gotcha now loopy and elfie and chat are trying to get me in trouble here with the savage worlds crew so yes i now have to mention 50 fathoms there i said it (laughs) you all happy now 50 fathoms savage worlds 
All right, so a lot of these uh, these characters kind of come up. In fact, there there may be one uh, there may be an an obvious answer here because he showed up in some of your videos. But you know, those of us who GM a lot, we have this tendency to bring in NPCs in multiple different settings. So, do you have a forever NPC that that you like to bring into all of your games? Um. I've, I've had a few that would run through like several campaigns and then kind of got uh, dropped uh, partially because I either got tired of it or as the group changed, like nobody could remember what the original guy was. Like uh, my first real D and D campaign that like went all the way to a big thrilling end with the big evil bad guy. And they, they, they meet the big evil bad guy at the end that they've been questing to find uh, he was a uh, Childress the Conqueror. Well, he would show up in other games after that, but it was always Childress the something else, like the bartender. And whenever they meet him, he would throw out the, the same voice and a lot of the same little turbs, but he's, you know, just this completely reimagining of this guy that in another reality was like a Genghis Khan. And now he's the bartender in like just nowhere random village. Uh, for a long time, we always would have an NPC pop up that was named Trejo. That was just pretty much Danny Trejo. Uh, and he was a very beloved NPC. <laughs> that, um, just Bob is like, and it's it's Danny Trejo. Like, well, what's he like? He's Danny Trejo. And just, but he is in this particular uh, backdrop. Um, the bone saw that I've, I've mentioned before uh, has popped up uh, again. Uh, after he was a magical sword. So I've had a few, but not not an incredible number of them in a while. Hmm. Gotcha. Now, now for Trejo, um, because it's Danny Trejo, did, did he always meet some kind of grisly end? If they befriended him, I, God, I think he did. <laughs> I will... I think there was one. We did a campaign. It was it was actually one of my best two campaigns ever. And it was, uh, they were kids in the cyberpunk universe. So in Night City, they were, uh, it's called a juvie gang. So they, we started the campaign off with them being 12 years old. Hmm. And uh, and Trejo is this like local fixer guy. And he was, he was usually really nice to the kids. I think, I think he survived. It's just the campaign kind of, when it went off and they kind of left being the, the little gutter rats, uh, they kind of left uh, Trejo behind. So he's probably evidently still kind of scuttling around that part of Night City now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's good that Danny Trejo doesn't always die, at least yeah. at least at Seth Skorkowski's table. Well, if he's a, if he's a good guy, that I don't know if you've, you've heard that. Danny Trejo has that rule that if he plays a bad guy, he has to die. But mm-hmm. if he's a good guy, he can live. He just plays a good guy once every... 80 90 movies yeah now when it comes to uh you know behind the screen and as a player we all have different ways that we like to enjoy this game we all kind of develop our own style so how would you describe your play style both as a gm and as a a player um as as a game master i uh it, it, it's kind of odd. I I enjoy doing 
a lot of odd gimmicky stuff from time to time. I will sometimes do like a, a, a video just talking about like, hey, here's a cool little gag that you can do like once every three years and, and get away with. So I usually try to keep my players entertained with something new uh, pretty regularly. And that's also led to some of the reasons why we've played so many different systems is I always want to uh, have them experience something new or have us do something just kind of new and exciting together. So it's either a, a new game or some new little gimmick to make one game just more fun, like like hand puppets or something like that, that they might have to talk to. Um, as a player, I am, when you, you categorize the different types of players, I'm what's called a tactical player. And I think it comes from the fact that I, I grew up playing old school D&D, which was still really based off of the, the kind of the tactical rules <laughs> of... Um, the old days. So I am all about puzzles and, and figuring out how to get the maximum amount of efficiency or a creative way to use a spell or something like that. So um, I do a lot of problem solving when I play. Um, I also have a very dirty, horrible tendency to become the murder hobo. <laughs> um, and, and the reason for that, I've, as, as I've had to explain while I'm on trial, uh, is <laughs> that since I primarily game master, my job is to die. Every I play all the orcs. We all mm-hmm. die. I play all the villains. They all die. I play all the gangers. They all die. When I'm, when I'm a player, I get to kill. So it's yeah. such an exciting thing for yeah. me. <laughs> like I get to be effective. You know, normally it's like I want to I want to beat them up, but I don't want to accidentally overdo it and total party kill them. Like I can't just like open up both barrels and, mm-hmm. and just like go to town. So I have a, a dirty tendency that when I play, I'm all like just cut to the action, guys. That's literally all I want because that's the one thing I can't do when I GM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there always seems to be two kind of modes for forever GMs when they finally get the chance to uh, to get on the other side of the screen. One is, uh, th- and this is what I do. I kind of fall into the niche of my my comfort character. I I like my martial characters, and so I go, all right, here's my chance to swing a sword and kill a bunch of things. And then there's the ones who just kind of let their id go crazy. It sounds like you might be might be more in that that particular side of things. I, I I enjoy it now, but the other thing is like whenever we've I've been able to play Call of Cthulhu, um, I have never once survived a game of Call of Cthulhu. I, I have been the only person to die in games before, uh, so I, I evidently don't have the issue that I'm afraid to have my character die because I've had up to thousand NPCs die on me. And I always know that like, well, I've got a million characters in my head. So if, if this one goes out in a blaze of glory, then that's, that's fine. Uh, so I don't get uh, super duper attached uh, whenever I, I do get to play a character, just because anytime I have, then it ends up that that person stops running me and I'm back to being a forever GM. So mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I, I don't mind being the sacrificial lamb if if a GM's going to run me. Mm-hmm. Elfie in chat says you you are the red shirt. And I just I just want to at least kill something before I go. <laughs> yep. So 
This is kind of a difficult question for people who, you know, put so much time and energy into this hobby, but people who do so have a lot of great memories tied up with gaming. So, Seth, if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Hmm. Damn. Um, there was a a group that I, I did belong with. Uh, man, now I'm thinking of more, but I'm going to go with my first one because that was my first one. Uh, in about, it was, it was 2001 that we were playing because it was like right around the time 9-11 happened. Um, and we were playing uh, Cyberpunk uh, 2020. It was set in Dallas, uh, which is uh, where where we were at the time. Uh, it was with just a lot of old friends uh, and we were uh, we were young and a lot of us had been uh, former delinquents ourselves. And I, I really do cherish those games. And I've, I've really enjoyed watching the people that we played with in that group that I've uh, kept track of seeing how they've gone. Um, a lot of them into the tech industry and stuff. So uh, those are the few games that I look back at. And even though I guess we actually didn't play too many sessions. I remember them so clearly that it feels like we, we played for years, mm-hmm. uh, but we probably only had about uh, half a dozen sessions with these characters. But I, I can remember just about every single detail almost 20 years later. Gotcha. Was there anything uh, like in particular that just made that, that time stick out in your head? Was it just like the right people at the right time to, you know, create magic at the table? It was, um, I was, yeah, I was you know, 22 or so. And, uh, you know, we were, uh, just a lot of just factors in our life and everything came together. It was just this, this perfect mix. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you how to recreate that, but hmm. it, it was, it was a lot of fun. Gotcha. Well, unfortunately, we now have to sink the ship a little bit because for every good memory we have, there are also some bad memories. We play with a lot of different people. Sometimes we get that perfect combination like you had uh, with that group in, in 2001, but sometimes we just don't mesh with the people that we play with, and for the worst offenders at our tables, we have this term of that guy. So, Seth, if you have a that guy story that you're comfortable sharing on the show, uh, please do so. Oh, well, I've, I've got a few and some of them are more spectacular than others. But I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the king of them uh, for me, just because of the long term impact that he had. Uh, I had I had one player and I'd actually played with him for some years. He was he was a friend of mine. And his, his thing was when he was on, he was absolutely on. He was amazing. He was a great role player when he was, he was on point. The problem is the gross majority of the time he wasn't on point. And at those point, those times he was kind of the, the, the nightmare player, um, constantly distracted. Just he, he would never remember any rules, no matter how many times we reminded him uh, he would get, angry at, at weird things that, you know, you'd, you'd get really hostile about stuff. And half the time, none of us had any idea what it was, but um, eventually he had one game where he was uh, so distracted and getting so ticked off about stuff that uh, 
uh, I ended up having to, to boot him from the game. And that hit me so hard having to having to having to kick this guy out because he's making everybody else miserable and i found out another player was planning on leaving for my wife who's in the groups like i am never playing with him again um that about a week after i I finally pulled the cord on that we've been playing together for about six years i uh i did something i'd never done before and I set a camera up and I recorded a video called the RPG social contract as my way to kind of work through what was what, what had just happened. Mm-hmm. So I had a player that was so bad, he launched my entire YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, so I, I have, I have industry awards for a channel all because I had one nightmare um, uh, session. That was one of those, like uh, I ended that one wondering if like should i stop running like am i done running or do i just need to get rid of them so that was my uh i guess the most impactful bad player that i've had Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and and if i can just mention one from the the videos that you've done the the player who was basically pitting you and his other gm against each other as uh like idols of the perfect gm that that's some psychological warfare right there and that that definitely i was like oh that that's that guy i uh what's funny is when that video went live it by by sheer coincidence um i had already been planning on putting together this video uh he and his wife scheduled to have a dinner with us like (laughs) the next day uh so the next day i'm i'm sitting in a restaurant with him and uh he he goes off to the bathroom and his wife is like he was he was really sorry about what happened way back then and i'm like yeah, 20 years ago you know it's, it's, it's no big deal it's like he came back to area and it we we had a lot of laughs about it because he's like i was such a I, I was everything you said was absolutely right, but he had forwarded off to the other GM, a guy named Jeff. Jeff got a <laughs> kick out of it too. So, but uh, that that guy, we don't play together, but uh, you know, we 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 did get to have a good laugh about this incident that happened in like '99 and 2000. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like it was recent when I gave that story. It was a very very long time ago. Hmm. Yeah, that. <laughs> I think that might have been the first video of yours that I saw was was that particular uh, that particular story. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I had I had given that story evidently to several people at conventions of the, the comments. People were like I met you at Gen Con and somehow the story <laughs> came up. So uh, it was said that I told uh, to a few people whenever they would. Um, I, I guess a lot of times lament about their players wishing their game was like critical role or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, so it kind of it kind of became my thing of like they don't understand what it is they have because they're so busy looking at this idealized thing so i'd always tell the story of my buddy and uh, so finally one day i was like i'm just going to record this thing because I, th- I think i can make this a funny video so uh but it's and I think it, I think it is kind of handy for a lot of, especially newer GMs that are so unsure of themselves, and they hear all this praise for, 
you know, these other GMs, whether somebody played with them before, or they're just somebody that's got a channel that's really popular. So mm-hmm. hopefully that, that helps somebody like that'd be the goal. My, my first GM and, and my good friend, Muhammad, he at one point was toying with the idea of putting out this, uh, like, black and white PSA with like Sarah McLaughlin music in the background where it's just a bunch of people sitting behind GM screens and they'd like do a deep sigh and go, I'm not Matt Mercer. And then it cuts to someone else. (laughs) I'm not Matt Mercer. And then it cuts to him and he goes, and you're not Matt Mercer. (laughs) And then you just give a speech. None of us are Matt Mercer. And that doesn't make your game any better or worse for it. So remember, you're not Matt Mercer. Then <laughs> just go back around to everyone. You're not Matt Mercer. <laughs> you should <And> do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wondered why he never pulled the trigger on it. Muhammad, if you're listening to this right now, uh, as I know you, you catch up on the show sometimes, definitely do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's put that out there. Oh, the thing is, like, you've, you've got enough GMs uh, that you, you've talked to that it'd be very easy to bring in some guests for that one. Oh, yeah. So. Definitely. Uh, if, if he wants it, hit me up. I can, I can give a five second. I'm not Matt Mercer. I don't mind. Absolutely. It looks like, uh, let's see, what's that name here? Popper not in chat wants to say uh, that he loves your videos and he finds your advice wildly helpful as a new GM. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I also find your advice good. wildly helpful. Oh, good. That, that that's the goal. My, well, my goal is if I can't be helpful, I can at least be entertaining. Um, so, if somebody spends their time watching a video, if if I don't say anything, it helps them. At least maybe they'll get a chuckle. Um, but hopefully, it helps them. So I'm glad to know it has. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also, uh, thank you. I believe that is Vanta Black Lord in uh, in chat for the follow. Doc Holiday to you as popped up while we were having that discussion there. Uh, So, Seth, we've got uh, one last introductory question here. This one has thrown some people for a loop. Um, The answer to this question can be as philosophical or sophomoric as you want it to be. Okay, I'll probably do that. But if you could put put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? Anything on a T-shirt? Well... Damn. Um, I don't know. I, I, I have t-shirts. Uh, crap. Now I'm, now we're just sitting here with dead air as I, as I go through all the possibilities. If we were sitting around at a bar, I'd give you like 90 in a row. Um, if I could have anything on a t-shirt, cause I'm trying to like at least relate it to the subject at hand. Um, I would, <laughs> um, I don't know why I've never made one. Uh, it, it, this is actually kind of a, a, a weird thing. Uh, I would have a, a logo that's uh, the Blazing Sun. And that originally came from a random D&D game like in 1998 of a, a group of idiot mercenaries. And it became this running joke for so many years that it... In Renfairs, which I was very active in, we ended up forming a clan that was called the Blazing Suns, that we would have like 60 people come and camp out together. And there are Blazing Sun tattoos, and there are uh, all sorts of Blazing Sun swag that got made. And I have never, 
ever owned a Blazing Sun t-shirt. And I just realized that is the biggest hole in my entire t-shirt inventory <laughs> is I don't have one. In fact, if you watch some of my videos, there are Blazing Suns that I slip in there as as odes to our our, our Renfair group, which it all came from a D&D game. And then we did another campaign where they were Blazing Suns. So that's it. It would be a total inside joke that nobody but us would ever get. Oh, good. Those are the best ones sometimes. Especially when people then start picking those up. Like if you were at a convention and you had a stack of Blazing Sun t-shirts at the table, someone would buy it because it looks cool. And then you'd have someone out there who has no idea what it is just wearing it around. I uh, Well, I've, I've actually been meaning to make a video talking about the Brotherhood of the Blazing Suns because of how one random comment that the GM makes because it was, how are they dressed? Like, uh, and I, I, I described these guys, uh, literally became this big thing. Uh, and now there are, um, you know, we've got people that are in the blazing sun group that have now moved across the world. And like I said, have, have tattooed themselves with this. And it was literally something that I, when I was 19, I just pulled out of my butt in a panic <laughs> and has, ended up becoming a, a, an institution. So uh, I need to, I need to do a video on that. I just don't know how to make it as entertaining as I would like it to be. Gotcha. Maybe, maybe you could have Todd show up with a blazing tattoo. I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. He's hey guys, check out my new tattoo. <laughs> Well, I'll probably have to ask the people that have them, like, can you send me photographs? I actually want to show pictures of these things because, mm-hmm. like, this is weird that uh, that people were like, yeah, I'm so in this group. And it's like, it's all based off of a weird joke from a game. <laughs> gotcha. So now that we're through these introductory questions, um, since I brought them up, I, I, I just need to ask. I know that they have stood in for multiple people, including real people, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, But when it comes to Todd, Mike, and Dweebles, do their personalities come from specific people, or are these amalgam characters? They're they're total amalgams. Uh, I, you know, for a a while, I didn't even give them names. They were just... They just, I just needed a, a, a character to interact with to show off some example skit. And uh, the, the first one was Todd. And at the time I had like really long hair. So I just flipped a baseball cap backwards, let my hair down and, and put on an old Ramones shirt. And, uh, you know, I, I intentionally didn't name them any names of anybody that I have played with. Gotcha. Uh, that way, you know, somebody that I might have played with like 15 years ago named Todd be all like, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> but uh, so that was a thing. In fact, the name Todd, there was a meme that was going around for a while of like some sign in front of some like kind of shady looking club. It said like lightsaber night is canceled tonight. Thanks, Todd. And, <laughs> and, and I, I saw this on Facebook one day. I was like, that's it. That's the name. Uh, so thanks, Todd. Uh, I just sounded... <laughs> Uh, so perfect because I was always using him as my example of of, of bad behavior. So mm-hmm. that's so if you ever see that meme one day while scrolling, that's like that's what it inspired in me. Gotcha. Yeah, because I, I was also wondering if if Todd always being the bad player was original authorial intent or if that just kind of happened out of nowhere. But it sounds like 
he just yeah, kind I, of evolved as your example bad player. Yeah, and it, it was like if I had several videos after I introduced him where it would like I would only use him. And then like one day I realized like, oh, I need him to interact with somebody else. So I, uh, I kind of threw together these other outfits. And had I realized at that time that I was kind of committing for the rest of my life to these characters, <laughs> uh, I would have done dweebles absolutely differently because I, <laughs> I have to do this, this comb over that requires like all the gel in the world to, to, to get my hair to like swoop down because I wanted to make it really awful and it is but yeah so it's like I always have to start with dweebles because I have to get out of the shower and put half a pound of gel in my hair and then after dweebles I like change the camera around and I I pull the mic cap over it and then swap the goatee out for a mustache which that was actually a pair that I bought at Party City and and then I switch the camera around and put on a wig and I play Todd because once I cut my hair off I had to uh, steal one of my wife's old wigs in order to keep that character going. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but they're not, they're not based on anybody. I, I did. I have had a very weird player, uh, like really weird uh, who had a goatee and a lot of people have that have played with me have says like, I know that's dweebles, right? I know it's dweebles. And I'm like, no, it's it's not. And they're like, yeah, whatever, whatever. I know you can't say it, but I know it's dweebles. Like, no, it's not dweebles. The 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 dweebles voice that like, hey guys, what are we doing? Um, was is it's it's they're all bad impressions. Every one of those voices. Mm-hmm. On Robot Chicken, there's kind of like the nerdy guy, and I think Macaulay Culkin does that voice of like, you know, mm-hmm. exactly, this is what we're going to do. That is my really bad impersonation of Macaulay Culkin's nerd voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where that came from. I just happen to have a really big oversized goatee that um, a kitten used to steal and tear up, and I never <laughs> bothered replacing it. So like the reason that goatee looks even worse is because it was a kitten's chew toy that I just... <laughs> put double-sided tape on slap on my face so now you'll think about that next time you see dweebles yeah absolutely and as as the owner of two cats myself yeah I, yeah that there's not much you can stop them from turning into a chew toy if they put their mind to it yeah i, I try to keep my game room like the door shut whenever i'm have everything set up for recording and you're like, you're like freaking ninjas man like, you know they, they they she would get inside somehow get on the top of the table and find that thing and get it and get it out of the room all in under about a 10th of a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, I don't even know how she could do that, but then I'd find it like in the dining room, I'm like, Oh damn, my goatee. Yeah. Like <laughs> brush it off. And I was like, man, it's still good. And, uh, but so she did that like four or five times. So that thing is like really mangled and has like this, uh, you could probably count the rings of all the double-sided tape that I've put on the back. That's actually kind of holding it together at this point. I think they were meant to be worn once and I've gotten about three years out of it. So I've nice. definitely got my money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, my, my big guy back here, Ronan, he, he likes to play Godzilla with my miniatures. Oh, oh Ronan is playing a dangerous game. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Fortunately, he only goes after the ones that are just primed, so it's it's fine. But I'm afraid it, one of these days he's going to get really... one of the painted ones. <laughs> I uh, yeah, thankfully none of my cats have ever gone after my miniatures. Um, 
they will steal dice like nobody's business <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah we've had a lot of tile floors so occasionally i'll hear those like like that very distinct clack clack of, of dice getting launched across the tile floor it's like how the hell did they find that and then uh, sometimes you will they'll have a die that you're like i haven't seen that down like a year yeah <laughs> where the hell was that yeah so. you don't want to know <laughs> so you've already discussed kind of how the the channel came about what with uh the the frustrations of playing one night um launching this this rpg social contract video which is kind of frequently referenced and in a lot of ways seems to be kind of the backbone of your uh, philosophy when it comes to GM player interaction and the, the videos that you make on that. What happened after that video that made you go, I want to keep doing this and, uh, you know, I, I want to, you know, put all of this time and energy into this thing that I made out of pure rage and spite? <laughs> a wonderful description um i had intended to make a youtube video or channel uh for a couple of years when uh when my first novel came out uh, uh i was talking to uh call him a friend he's a guy that i know who's who's uh very big into uh internet marketing he owns an internet marketing company and he told me that i needed to get a youtube channel because it's the second largest search engine and that would really get me out there. And I'm like, what the hell would I make a channel about? And he's like, well, make it about writing. It's like, well, I mean, you know, I've got a book out. Like there's a lot, you know, there's, there's people out there that have got channels like Brandon Sanderson, who, who's written six books in the amount of time that you and I have been talking today. So, yeah. uh, you know, I can't, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are better at that and they're, uh, more educated in the sense that they can break it down in ways that I can't. So I spent about two years, uh, a little over two years, wanting to do a YouTube channel and having no idea what I could possibly uh, go on and on about. So when I made that first video, and it was terrible, uh, I, I did not know how to edit. I had the world's worst camera with its world's worst onboard microphone. It was done in like one 30 minute take where I, I had like a post-it note with some notes on it. Uh, it has since been retired and kind of redone much cleaner. But once I had gone through the whole process of setting it up and learning how to upload a video on YouTube and all that, it suddenly became a lot easier. Like all these little ideas of different stuff that I would want to do uh, started coming to me. So the channel picked up very, very quickly once I figured out something that I was at least passionate about to make videos for. And the other thing that was lucky, I had actually uh, left my day job several months before then to, to write full time. So I had all the time in the world. I was, I was writing my novel Ashes of Onyx. And, you know, you don't want to spend your entire day doing that. And I'd already done all the stuff around the house, you know, when you uh, say, it's like, man, when I, when I finally get to quit my job, I'm going to uh, redo all these little things around my house. Well, that was two months and I was done. <laughs> so uh, I was kind of also in the mood to like look for something to help occupy my time. And so it just kind of worked out. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the, the novels came first and, or the novel came first. And then from there, uh, 
you kind of discovered the the YouTube thing. Yeah. And, and the reason I named my channel Seth Skorkowski is it was supposed to help, I guess, market my name for the for the novel recognition. And mm. uh, so instead of being a novelist that has a YouTube uh, channel, um, it's kind of grown to the fact I'm a YouTuber that's also a novelist. So gotcha. it's kind of crested past it. Gotcha. Yeah, because I mean, so many so many YouTubers. I mean, the the prime example I can think of is Shadowversity, who does the the medieval weapons uh, YouTube videos. He started as a YouTuber and just recently released a novel. So, I, for some reason, I find people on YouTube and think, you know, they they did this first because I grew up in a world where you can be a professional YouTuber and not blink an eye at at those words <laughs> i always find it really weird uh whenever i'm like I'm, I'm like going to a doctor's office or something or i'm filling out some survey as like, uh what is your profession i'm like author and youtuber like i'm i am a <laughs> professional creative hobo uh it's like uh it, it, it's a lot easier back when i could say it's like oh, i work at this place but i've been uh, self-employed so i just have to embrace it mm -hmm. yeah it's like uh you know i i'm a denizen of music city so uh around here there's a lot of people with a profession of songwriter uh which for most people means waitress but for some <laughs> people does actually mean songwriter and so there, there was one time this this couple that you know my wife and i met and we're we're newlyweds uh we've been married for less than two years it'll be two years in march um but, you know, every now and then we just kind of get discouraged about, you know, are we ever going to own a home? Are we ever going to, you know, feel financially secure? So we went over to this couple's house and he's a freelance web designer and she is a singer songwriter. And as soon as those two pieces of information came out, I looked at her. And I was like, we'll be able to own a home one day. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. It's all right. If they can do it, we can do it. Hey, that's if, if that's what you need, man. If that's the motivation, then absolutely go for it. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So one thing that I personally am and just very interested in is the, the writing side of things, uh, because as I told you before we you know went on, I am currently in the middle of my first attempt at writing a fantasy novel. Uh, so how did that process begin for you? How, how did you start that journey? Oh God, I don't know if we have enough time. Um, <laughs> I, my, my first novel I started writing, I started writing in 2004, I believe. And the uh, it was a fantasy novel. It was I finished it. It took me two years to finish it, and I started on the sequel. And I was going through the whole process of trying to sell it. Uh, went to my first agent editor conference, pitching it. Got rejected, God knows how many times. Um, but I started because I had graduated college, and I had I had moved away from my friends, like not far, but I had moved like. 30 minutes away so it wasn't like we could just hang out every single night like we had before and, and that sort of thing so I was having I was a lot I was alone a lot um, but it took uh, so then I guess 2011 um, 
I ended up meeting with an agent or an editor who pretty much told me that my first novel was unsellable crap, but it taught me how to write. <laughs> and he delivered it in a way that I was all like, well, great. And then the next week I, uh, I started uh, another story that had been bouncing around in my head for several years. And that was Dameron. And that ended up being my first uh, published novel in 2014. Um, I did have a few short stories uh, that I sold uh, starting in 2008 when those started. Uh, I had my first two short stories published in the same month. So um, I did a few short fiction sales, but um, it was about 10 years from when I said I am going to write a book to when my book was released. And it was a completely different book than the one I had originally said I was going to write. Uh, I've got one in 75% of a second book that's in a drawer now that I would be afraid to look at because I am, I, as much as I have grown as a writer, I would really don't want to see what badness I did mm. in those early days. Well, yeah, I mean, that's got to feel like when you stumble upon something you like made in first grade I'm just like, how how did I pass that that <laughs> first grade? I see some of the stuff. I had terrible handwriting as a kid, but my mom will occasionally like send a picture of something. It's like, Ryan made this when he was six. And I was like, I was six when I made that. <laughs> so uh, it, it was it was a very long uh, journey, but it was it was fun. And, you know, it was it started as something that I did to, to pass a lot of time and get a lot of my kind of creativity out so mm -hmm. gotcha now this is kind of a two-pronged question uh, in that it's two questions i've duct taped together but when it comes to writing fantasy how if at all do you think you know gming and, and running role-playing games has helped you and then on the reverse side do you think that being an author has had any effect either positive or negative on your games? Um, I would say that it has helped me, uh, but probably not in the, the way a lot of people would expect. Uh, when, when you get really proficient in writing, you do pay attention to a lot of stuff that can build mood. Um, and one of the things I've talked about a lot is whenever you're doing a scene, especially a, a, a horror scene or something, if you want to put them really there, it is not describe what they they see and don't necessarily describe as much what they hear. Uh, those are the two main senses we rely on. Uh, but always throw in a third sense and smell is uh, the one that's actually the most emotional sense. So I, whenever I would describe scenes in games, I, I became much more aware that i should describe all five senses uh and with with writing the the kind of rule of thumb that i've used is every scene you do must use at minimum three senses and uh preferably four and if you can slip it in without it being too busy try to get five but four should be your 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 dead on target and three should be your minimum uh so it has helped me in that sense but as far as, as writing the adventures or any of that, uh, no, I was already doing that. That's what caused me to want to become an author uh, in the first place. Um, in the ways that it has hurt me is I had a period where, um, and 
a lot of people say like, you know, oh, is, 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 is writing a game like writing a book? No, it is absolutely not. But uh, the, one of the, the, the big game master sins that you can do is try to turn your game into a book where you are essentially railroading or forcing your players into some sort of narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I really got into writing, I unintentionally started doing that in, in some of my games it, until it was like, like really called out on me. I was like, Oh crap. I hadn't, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Um, so that's pretty much the only negative effect. So writing a game and writing a book are very different universes. The only similarity they have is they're creative and you use English words uh, mm-hmm. when you're doing it. That's about it. Uh, so I'm, hopefully that answers it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always heard the uh, the kind of meme on the internet of if the GM says I'm writing a fantasy novel, you might want to find a new game. I um, you know, I I also originally had one game that was set in the same world that uh, my novel series was set place in, um, and that I ended up having to like abort it like i i intentionally like they found a portal and they ended up taking their pirate ship into the underdark and they sailed through this the the sunken seas of the underdark to get as far away from my world as possible because it was actually really difficult to try to write a novel and do a completely like unrelated game in the same world because you know you, you want to you want a game to kind of escape yeah and i realized that i wasn't i was constantly on this this world that uh, writing when I decided to take it seriously, I had to treat it like a second job. Um, and I realized the game was suffering for it and all that. So I was like, no, oh, screw this. We're just, we're going to the underdark. Yeah. We're taking a pirate ship with us. So uh, yeah, uh, that was, those were a couple hurdles I had early on that were you, you don't realize that you're, you're making a big mistake until you did it and somebody points it out and you feel like a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's got to feel like setting a game in, like, your office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, though I've always wanted to do, like, a, a game of, like, cyberpunk or something and, like, uh, on a boardroom table, like, on a glass boardroom table in some skyscraper <laughs> overlooking a city. Like, that is, like, oh, yeah. a, a dream game that I've wanted to run since I was 18. Uh, but it wouldn't be my office. <laughs> <laughs> be somebody else's Uh, and and if you're true to the game uh, you wouldn't ask permission but because i'm a coward i would (laughs) yeah back back when i was in an office building on a regular basis uh there there's a room that springs to mind right now and and uh loopy and chat uh we worked at the same place so you you probably know exactly the room i'm thinking of but that would be a great room to uh to run cyberpunk in. it's got a, a view of downtown nashville it's all high tech. It's got these weird cameras set up that like follow you as you're moving. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yes. Do it. <laughs> I think my badge still works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if, if y'all show up wearing suits at the night <laughs> watchman, like you look legit. Uh, so I don't know if you ever heard about that. The urban explorers that would like go out and like explore abandoned subway tunnels and stuff. Uh, one of the secrets that they use is they wear business wear because gotcha. if, if somebody's wandering around a construction yard or stuff that play, places you always wanted to check out, but you're kind of afraid to, when these, when these people would do it, they'd put on business wear because 
when somebody sees you, you wear a suit, you can't possibly be up to no good. You got a good reason <laughs> to be there. And you know, they'd have like briefcases that I probably, I don't know if they're full of flashlights or cameras or what, but they'd like be in full business wear, breaking into a construction yard or <laughs> <laughs> I, I read about that in like the early two thousands. I always wanted to do it, but you know, I'm a coward. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. My my wife is into exploring abandoned places and stuff like that. We we might have to might have to give that a whirl. I accidentally broke into a a, a Dallas abandoned skyscraper from the basement. Uh, that's a long story, and I didn't even know how I got in there. there there's a the thing they've closed them since there was like an underground mall, for the lack of a better word, of like tunnels connecting all the major buildings around Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I was there with a friend, and there was like we're going down this long hallway under a road, and. Uh, you know, it's all carpeted and tiled. It's all nice. And I just kind of randomly checked a door. It had opened and I was all like, well, hey, hey. And we went in <laughs> because it was unlocked. And we we went up the stairs and we popped out and there's like dirty abandoned building lobby. And there's like the glass doors and I could see people walking along the sidewalk. And my friend and I were like, well, hell we did it so let's <laughs> just go up a couple flights uh but that was never planned that was just random door of like i wonder if it opens and then <laughs> i'm in like a neil gaiman movie or something so yep absolutely yeah my my grandpa once accidentally accidentally slash on purpose broke into cape canaveral <laughs> <laughs> They they couldn't get in the main gate. They turned him away at the main gate, so he went down the road, turned on like a dirt road, and kept turning, kept turning. Ended up behind the main gate at some point, and the the Air Force guys who were there, you know, with their hands on their sidearms, were like, "How did you get in here?" They're like, "Uh, this road, turn on this road, and this road, and this road. There's no security or anything like that. You guys might want to do something about that." <laughs> It's like like those hackers that like break into the the Pentagon or something and then they get a job. It's like, like this is how I did it. Give me a job. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one game. Actually, it's an entire genre. I've always been so curious about cyberpunk as a genre. I've never been able to play any kind of cyberpunk game though, just because I'm the only one who wants to play it. Apparently. Um, so when There's it comes a lot to, of people right now wanting to play it, man, yeah. You're, you'll find a group. Well, yeah, especially with that game that may never come out. Well, the the, the tabletop one's coming out like this week. I think it comes out in like seven days. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's it's done. I have it on really good authority that I'm not allowed to talk about of exactly <laughs> what that PDF looks like. So it's it's fully done. Good. So the video game. I don't know. I've been waiting for that video game since the late 90s. I can wait a couple more months. If nothing else, I have the Shadowrun RPGs that I got for free. Thank you, Epic. Um, but when it comes to, you know, what makes a good cyberpunk game and then what makes a crap cyberpunk game, I know this this might be a very kind of lengthy discussion, but what are a few things that could make or break a cyberpunk game for, you know, anyone who's newly looking at running or playing in that particular sandbox? Um, 
so when when with cyberpunk and my my major experience was the cyberpunk 2020 going back to uh, 1996 is that what makes a good cyberpunk game is it is, it is attitude um and one of the things that it, it took me so long to really fully wrap my head around and appreciate and it, i think mike pondsmith is a prophetic genius uh because he he talked about in the book the future is disposable everything is disposable and it should be treated that way and i never really appreciated how true that was until i we started entering the world of the 20 teens and you could see how you know we would we would get a, a cell phone that's got like this a computer that's more powerful than what my desktop had 10 years before and like we crack the screen and get rid of it and throw it out and it's just like everything becomes uh consumerism yeah so cyberpunk is about attitude but everything's disposable including you um it, it is a, a hyper violent game and you cannot play it like you would dungeons and dragons where there's this kind of assumed i'm going to get through this alive and then they will lay hands on me and i will get back up and i'll be at full and i'll go kill a bunch of orcs and, and cyberpunk it could be like the fight starts and you die and, and that was it um so you had to actually start playing very strategically and mm -hmm. that for me really made the game as it really uh it was it was very gritty and and very uh just just raw what can break a game of cyberpunk is uh there's two things one um equipment whoring this is a problem that you'll find in a lot of sci-fi games where uh because there is just so much really cool equipment it's like the magic items that you would find in a fantasy game except for you can order them on amazon um and and, and have them delivered to your door so players that get so into shopping for equipment that like they forget to play the game mm -hmm. or they 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 don't interact with everybody because they're sitting there scrolling or flipping through a gear guide because they want to find the best widget to to do the job um, that's an obstacle that you will find in any sci-fi game. The first time I encountered that was cyberpunk where it would be occasionally like, dude, put down the Chromebook, let's play. Um, the other one is with the net, uh, or with hackers. And you know how in like a, a Dungeons and Dragons game, when you've got the whole group and they're in a town and you got like six players and there's that one thief who wants to go around breaking into buildings. So you're like, okay, we'll do a short little solo as you break into a building or two. And then that thief kind of like that player dominates it. Mm -hmm. And you got five other players that are kind of sitting there. Like we, we really have nothing to do until the thief finishes doing this thing. And then we can go off on our adventure and they're kind of uh, watching this person do it. Uh, hackers in, in a lot of cyberpunk games, especially cyberpunk 2020. That was a problem of, uh, you know they want to do their cool net running stuff but now the, the the game master has to essentially run two completely separate games and in that one they they really are two separate games like they're almost like two different systems and they're in different universes so that could kill a game um mm -hmm. if uh if your group started splitting up that way because if they split up physically and go to different sides of town uh it's really easy to bring them back together but when they literally leave this plane of existence to the digital universe it's suddenly a lot harder to uh uh try to get them back together and keep that game going but still give enough internet stuff to the guy that wanted to play the hacker and still give enough 
meat world stuff to the rest of your players. So mm-hmm. I'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be that one guy who was really into lawnmower, man. Wow. That's a blast from the past. movie. <laughs> I don't God, I can't remember the last time I saw that. I was like in high school. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan. School. Oh, wow. I think pre-Bond Pierce Brosnan, too. It would have to be. Yeah. Have, they wouldn't have been able to afford him after Bond came mm-hmm. out. So, yeah, I think I had to be middle school. I saw my buddy Aaron. So, yeah. Whew. Now I feel old. <laughs> Thanks. I shouldn't tell you how old I am. <laughs> I've already alluded to it. I shouldn't, I'm not going to do that. I can't do I'm, that to you. I am, I am ancient, sir. Don't <laughs> worry. I understand my, 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 my status. I'll be 25 in a month. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> sorry you've been married for two years yep wow two years in march wow damn i was 25 i still had no idea what i wanted to be when i grew up i think i think it's about the age i started writing so i I think i was beginning to figure out what i wanted to be when i grew up and i mean like for me right now this is this is really when i'm i'm starting my writing too I, i recently found out um I've always been interested in in fantasy, and I love Dungeons and Dragons, and I love creating games and stuff. But I recently decided that I really want to write because I found out I'm actually related to Robert E. Howard. Okay. I always wondered, just because my last name's Howard as well, and so I, I was thinking, you know, am I related to him? I did the whole Ancestry.com thing. Turns out he's my fifth cousin. Oh, well, that's better than me. Uh, <laughs> uh, you do know that they actually have what's called Robert E. Howard Days down across Plains, Texas, every year. Yeah, I've I've reached out to the the Robert E. Howard Society, and when that happens again, I'll be there uh, because. And thankfully, I am not the only Howard that has reached out to them. They told me I was the most distant Howard <laughs> that had reached out, and I was like, okay, at least someone is involved. Well, if nothing else, you get to meet a bunch of cousins you never knew about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of a kind of a weird way to network. But uh, <laughs> this year, I I was supposed to be my first year that I finally made it to Robert E. Howard Days because Cross Plains is not too terribly far from me. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's about I think about two hours, but in, in you know southern distance, that's nothing. And um, and then COVID happened. Yeah. So hopefully next year I will finally be able to uh, to make it there because I've yeah, I have uh, friends that have come from different parts of the country to it, and they're like, "I was expecting you to be there." And it's like, "Oh, is that this weekend? <laughs> Damn, that's like the sixth year in a row. I should write that down on my calendar." So <laughs> hopefully I'll remember next year. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's definitely an event I want to get to, but. I mean, yeah, D and D has been a very big inspiration on uh, my games. I've kind of done the thing where I've run people in a world that I want to use. Basically, what I've done is I use them to like build pieces of the world, and then I look at what they did, think about what I've got there, and you know, try to port it over to what I'm working on. <clears throat> but it's it's cool to to talk to someone who also you know kind of was inspired to write by by the gaming uh that that you've done and so it's it's always cool to 
hear people talk about this and, and, you know, guys like you and then guys like my good friend, Tim Matthias, who have done the same thing. It's always great to, to connect and, and talk about stuff like that. So thank you for, uh, for allowing me to, to do that here this evening. If, um, if you, if you can ever get it, get to, um, some of the, the different, uh, writing conventions because you've you mentioned you've done like game conventions uh earlier uh, i think before the show of like running at a con mm-hmm. go to a writing convention man it is it is like a weird parallel universe because i had done a lot of writing conventions before my first game con and you end up in pretty much the exact same conversations because in uh in writing communities especially with speculative fiction the, the fantasy sci-fi and horror massive tabletop community uh, that, that goes back a long time. And they're, a lot of them are really fun to talk to in um, kind of bouncing ideas. And also they'll be able to tell you some of the most unusual trivia about some of your favorite books uh, because the writing community is also very small. Uh, it's like the, the tabletop industry when you actually kind of got to pull up the carpet and look. It's actually very small and just about everybody knows each other or is like one degree of separation from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely check that out, and especially like once the panels shut down, the bar opens. That's <laughs> that's choice, man. That's mm-hmm. that's like my favorite part. Absolutely. So check one out. The closest I've gotten is I did a few writing panels at Dragon Con one year. I haven't made it to that one. That is so on my bucket list. Um, God, I want to do that one. Uh, Dragon Con is a hell of a time. I'm, it, I'm very jealous of you, sir. I I did Dragon Con. So Dragon Con's very special for me. I did it for like nine years in a row, starting when I was in middle school. And that's actually where I met my wife. Oh, man. So. So are you from Atlanta? Uh, no, I'm, I'm from North Carolina. Okay. But Dragon Con was just like, it was the biggest convention that was the closest to where I was. And so when I started going to conventions, it was actually my first con. My friends were like, hey, we're going to Dragon Con, which is like saying, hey, for my, the first, uh. The first time I'm going to the gym, I'm going to go participate in Mr. Universe. But <laughs> I, I, oh, I tell people, to do it. yeah, I tell people, you know, don't let something like that be your first con. Other cons <laughs> will not look the same, but that's what ended up happening. I loved it. And it, eventually I, I met my wife there. So, Whoa. well, hell, so now, now you, now you two have to go back mm. every single year when it's open again. So. Absolutely. That is awesome, man. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so remember people out there who, who are looking for that special someone, uh, you, you, you can find love at a convention. Uh, you can look for love in Alderaan places. <laughs> my, um, the first time I drug my wife to a con, we grew up doing Renaissance fairs, but for whatever reason she was intimidated with conventions because they were not the exact nerd culture that she had pretty much grown up doing mm-hmm. and uh our, our first one and it was a it was a teeny little one in dallas yeah she's kind of like self-conscious and this car pulls up behind us and this couple gets out and the guy is in his starfleet uniform and you could tell that like he is it should to go he is so excited and she comes out in like like a, like a renfair costume and you can tell that she is really 
unsure about this. Like, I think it's pretty clear he talked her into it. And we're watching their body languages, and he shuts his door. He's like, set phasers to party. And then they, <laughs> they went inside. And my wife is like, okay, no matter what happens, that guy is more awkward than me. I'm good. Let's do this. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. But set phasers to party is uh, something we say at every convention now. Now, Ren Fairs is something that I am, am extremely interested in, partially because I have a fascination with blacksmithing, but also my wife and I, we did like a Lord of the Rings wedding. And so we, we have those outfits. That's what we wore. That's what we were married in. And, you know, I, I've wanted to do Ren Fairs for a while now. But, yeah, that's, again, once once things are happening again, that's definitely something I, I want to go to. Oh, yeah. We started doing them. Well, she did before I did, but uh, when I was like 16 and then through all throughout college, that was what my job was. Um, and gotcha. I very nearly uh, ran off onto the Ren Fair circuit because there's actually a national circuit of um, Ren Fairs where you, the Rennies go from one to the other to the other. Mm-hmm. And it was like right before my final semester of college. And I figured it would probably be best to stay at home and, and save money because I was about to be out of school. Uh, but yeah, that was that was our universe for so for for so long, and uh, we like deep behind the scenes, like with all the Rennies. Uh, so it's it was a blast. I wouldn't give the, that up, but I can't I can't publicly talk about half those adventures. So <laughs> now, when when does your uh, Ren Fair around you happen? Because the one around here happens in May, and in Tennessee, that just seems like criminal. Um. Texas has two big ones. It's got a couple others, but it's it's major one that's close to me is it's on the far side of Dallas. So it's a full hour drive um, that's called Scarborough. And that starts at the very like last weekend of March gotcha. um, up to the end of May. And then summer hits and nothing happens. And then uh, Texas Renaissance Festival that's down near Houston begins at the very beginning of September and runs through uh, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, which means it is usually either scorching hot and you want to die or it's freezing and raining. And there is like one weekend and you never know which one, because it could be the first up to the last that is just absolutely perfect. Uh, but the rest of the time it's either like death heat or like you're freezing and you're, you're wearing wet tights. So uh <laughs> But that's that's the biggest one um, here. I think it might still might be the biggest in the country or the second largest in the country. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was always the the big one that we would uh, work back in college is go to school and drive down to Houston, do the fair, drive back, go to school the next morning. And you did that for two months. So uh, good times. Gotcha. Yeah, because the Carolina Renaissance Festival, uh, the, the one near where I grew up, it always happened October and November. So the weather in, in North Carolina, that time, you know, your, your highs are in the, the seventies at the very highest. Some days it's cold towards the end, but it's pretty, it's perfect. It's perfect for wearing what you're wearing during a a Renaissance festival. But in May, May in Tennessee, that seems criminal. Little, little warm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it basically, I was always happy if I could wear my cloak. Yeah. 
um, or my doublet if I could put the sleeves on because uh, I, I have a doublet that's got it's worn out. The color is almost gone, but the sleeves when you attach them are mint and they don't even look like they should go together. And it's like I bought those at the same time, but they they don't even match because I've worn the sleeves like five, six times ever. And the, the other one I wore uh, the whole time I was working them for years. So like they've been worn hundreds of times and they're just beaten up and nasty. But so if I can get to wear my full outfit and especially a cloak, that's like perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, typically what we do here kind of at the end of time, um, I like to turn over time to the guests to, you know, plug anything they've got coming up, anything they want to push people towards. Obviously, you know, you've got your channel, you've got your books. Uh, so anything you want to promote anywhere you want to send people, go ahead. The floor is yours. Oh, well, uh, you can find me at on YouTube at the highly imaginative name Seth Skorkowski. Uh, good luck spelling that. Um, I also have... Uh, several books out my Valdican series uh modern day monster hunters uh that is use magic weapons including a sentient revolver uh that is a four novel series um the audiobooks were narrated by rc bray two of which were audio word finalists um and then my most recent novel ashes of onyx is a urban fantasy portal fantasy about a uh, sorceress and uh, goes a lot into addiction and uh, the king in yellow. And then I have a bunch of pulp sword and sorcery thief adventures with my thief by uh, tales of the black Raven series. So those are done in more of the 1930s pulp style of uh, a bunch of short stories compiled together because uh, Fritz Leiber was a massive influence on me for tabletop gaming my very first uh published scenario a mother's love was published in uh, new tales from the miskatonic valley for call of cthulhu and that book won the uh any award in 2020 so I, my debut novel or my debut scenario has an any winner so if you play call of cthulhu or would like to i have a adventure in Innsmouth you can check out and that is uh I think that's all I got to hawk right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Absolutely. And uh, the most recent video that, that Seth put out, I believe as of right now, is the uh, it's a video on cheating in RPGs, which is a topic that no one loves to cover, but one that unfortunately we do have to cover every now and then. Seth does a great job of it, if I do uh, say so. Um so definitely check that out, uh, guys. That is going to do it for uh, tonight's show. Um, that Seth, thank you once again for coming on. Thank you for, uh, you know, talking with us here this evening. And uh, if you ever want to come back on, just let us know. And yeah, I'd love to. we'll be glad to have you back on. So just to let everyone know what's coming up, uh, this Saturday we are back in the wonderful world of Baldur's Gate, just in time for breakfast as uh, Danishes and Dragons takes us back to Baldur's Gate. Now that we have Minsk and Boo in our party, we will see where things go. And this time next Monday, uh, Hanker and Fernell is coming back. Uh, he's requested that we talk about taco recipes, and I'm going to twist his arm into seeing if we can talk a little bit about Index Card 2nd Edition, since I now have that book. Uh, but fun times always abound when when Hankerin shows up 
and uh, he's got a couple drinks in him. So we'll see uh, where that goes. I am looking forward to that. And Elfie in chat here just just has a question um, for a show called Danishes and Dragons, where we prepare breakfast and talk about RPGs. Do you have any breakfast recommendations? Me? Yeah. Just. Oh man, I, I, I I'm a breakfast burrito guy. I'm I'm gotcha. not that I'm not that terribly exciting. <laughs> All good. Gotcha. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us this evening. And uh, remember, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.